1: As we anticipated,
2: oh my we gosh. are in love with
1: her. <laughs> Such a
2: girl crush on this woman. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Before we started recording, me and Tanae were like, I don't. Oh, I mean, I think it's going to be really interesting. We'll see how it goes. And then we're like, oh my God, I'm obsessed. Let's just keep talking for hours.
2: Yeah, I feel like I don't even know how to intro except you guys are about to fall in love with this woman because she is yeah. just so brilliant and soulful. And um, I, I mean, so many things that I don't even have words for Re-bodied except- yeah. and,
1: you and know, grounded and connected to source. I'm like, I could just go on and on. <laughs> yeah,
2: and inspiring, like really, inspiring. really inspired totally. listening to her talk.
1: You know, it's, it's something about people there's something about people who have been through hell and back Mm. right it hasn't it's taken them to hell but here they are standing on two feet um almost like guiding leading the way Mm. um shining their light not in a fake way like their their darkness is still there and they embody it fully Um, I don't even have words to really describe what I'm trying to describe but it's like there's something about people like that you know we've we've met others that are similar Um, that just leaves you wanting more.
2: Yeah. And then they become the way showers, right? Like Mm, they show us how to get through the darkness and come back to the light. And I feel like she is just like such a beautiful example of someone who embodies that. Yeah.
1: agreed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Enjoy guys. Today, Danae and I are really excited. Actually, we've been nerding out Probably for like an hour before we got on this call, <laughs> to talk to Madison Morrigan. And she is an international award-winning life coach, leadership consultant, sovereignty guide, and host of the Everything Belongs podcast. Centered on self-belonging, sacred self-responsibility. Ooh, that one, spiritual mm. freedom and full expression. Madison coaches humans as they shed layers of old programming to come home to their true selves. Madison, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. All that sounds so serious.
2: <laughs> like, Whenever Damn. you hear it talk back about yourself, you're like, "That hey. me? What?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Madison, I am a little bit in geek out mode, and I'm just really excited to get to thank you because I feel like your writing has been so supportive of me. Um, I went through a divorce two years ago, and I found your writing like shortly around that period of time, and I feel like there's so much of. Um, your writing that just feels like you're speaking to me (laughs) as I'm going through a moment. And I'm just so excited to thank you for the support. And um, I would love if you would tell our listeners a little bit about how you came into this space of supporting certainly women in the way that you do and just like this space of reclaiming yourself and really stepping into an authentic sense of capital S self the way you do so beautifully. -hmm. Well, first of all, thank
3: you for saying that. Mm -hmm. I just on a plane yesterday listened to the Huberman Lab podcast on gratitude. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with his podcast, but he actually said that it's not making a list of the things that you're grateful for, it's fully receiving when other people give you gratitude. That is the actual gratitude practice. Mm
0: -hmm. And so
3: I'm just like taking a moment to acknowledge your gratitude and like receive it Mm -hmm. and also congratulate you on your divorce, even, you know.
1: (laughs) maybe people wouldn't say it that way. I think I we should. Do. I think Absolutely. we should actually. We need to change that conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, yeah, so congratulations.
3: Thank That's fucking amazing. <laughs> I love it. And I'm grateful we connected in this way.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm curious how far back you want me to go with how I got stuck. <laughs> work. I do think your story, like your familial story is really interesting and I think it's one that okay. probably a lot of people actually could connect to. So, yeah, maybe start there.
3: Yeah. Okay, cool. Cause I'm like, there's like, there's some context, but like some people are just like, how did you become a coach?
1: And that's like <laughs> no, where they no, want to no. go. No, nope, That's not what Super. I want. We're deaf psychologists. We want to know like the nitty gritty <laughs> background. Like, okay. Tell us your trauma. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um,
3: I think most of us under the patriarchy and under all of the supremacy dynamics that exist, were born into traumatic environments, even though we didn't all know that. And so, I, I think my family was like a microcosm of, a, of the supremacy we see in the culture. Um, and in that, I'll say, you know, I have six siblings. None of us have the same two parents. I was the oldest child, so I saw many divorces. And uh, my father is an alcoholic. He went to prison. And like, if you were checking the A score, <laughs> I'm just like up there in the not so good category yeah. <laughs> of like high adverse child experience. And as a child, I definitely like, you know, that something is wrong. Like I knew something was wrong, but also I didn't have a contrast to like healthy family dynamics. so like, I didn't, right. I didn't have anyone telling me like, your intuition is correct here. The things you're speaking to are correct. In fact, um, I kind of came in and my poor parents, I was an extremely intellectual child. And so I would ask questions about like, well, the things that you're saying, like, don't add up. And why doesn't this make sense? And, and Having a child like that, I'm sure is exhausting. So bless my parents. (laughs) But also there was like real trauma happening and no one knew how to address those things. Mm. And the more I spoke to them, actually the more abuse in my family continued. Mm -hmm. And so um, there was verbal, psychological, and sexual abuse in the family, along with alcoholism and deep codependency. And around, uh, it was eight, whenever my dad, I was eight when my dad went to prison for drinking and driving. And he came out a born again Christian Mm -hmm. and basically transferred his addiction from alcoholism, which is certainly a dangerous addiction to conservatism which is its own kind of addiction but also like not life-threatening in the Mm. same way um and so that was my first exposure to christianity although i didn't necessarily receive it at that time it wasn't until high school and the home with my mom and my stepdad got particularly abusive like the the more myself i became the more the abuse actually got bigger Mm. in my household and there was there was a sense of ownership over me that my one of my step parents had that was extremely toxic. And so I essentially started looking outside of the family home for a a parent for a loving person. And I was sought out by a lot of mentors. I I guess I have one of those personalities that a lot of people are like, I want to mentor you, I want to speak into you, like you are a gifted person or whatever. And so Mm -hmm. I had a lot of adult people wanting to invest in me from the church. And that felt so good to be seen and to be acknowledged and also that, you know, God is love and all that really resonated with me. And so I indoctrinated myself in late high school into Christianity and basically filled all of my time that I would be at home with things outside of the home, like youth group, church, work, dance lessons. And so by senior year, I was really only home to sleep. Mm -hmm. and then of course I like went to college I got went to college at 17 and I live in Missouri and so I went from St. Louis which is like certainly religious to Springfield Missouri which is like the buckle of the Bible belt assemblies of God headquarters is here Mm -hmm. and I just what was like seeking God and love and Jesus and all of that turned into something extremely toxic because I without any family, like my, my parents were definitely like, you're being too extreme. Um, but whenever I was free of that, it felt like I was creating my own identity by merging with this extreme belief system. And so Mm. I became a missionary. I got married just two years later. I was in college when I got married and, um, basically continued the abuse cycle from, you know, my childhood with the church And there were elements of it that were beautiful. Like I had what I feel is a very real spiritual orientation. So like I really did connect with God. I really did connect with the story of grace and Jesus, but the, the environments I chose were a reflection of my trauma. Mm -hmm. And um, also I've done a lot of research on cults and I'm an extremely positive person and uh, really positive outlook people are really prime targets for cult dynamics. And so it was just a, you know, it was the perfect scenario. And I, when I graduated college, I was actually wanting to be a sex therapist and I was married though. And so I didn't have the money for myself and my ex-husband to go to college. So he went back to school and I just started exploring how could I use my undergrad in a way that like I could get started serving people now I had a communication and psychology degree and I had mediation you know all the certificates and so I found coaching and at that time my like my body started shutting down and so like I developed like deep cystic acne like I would have like I didn't want to leave the house the kind of acne where you're just like this isn't having a little breakout it was like chronic painful acne I stopped like my body was just like i thought I was getting fibromyalgia. My back was always hurting. I had IBS, like all of the, the, the symptoms. Mm-hmm. And now I know those are manifestations of trauma. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, like I, my weight dropped down so low. I was probably 25 pounds like, smaller than I am now. And I'm a small person. And it was just because my body wasn't holding food, wasn't holding weight. And I was prompted by a friend whenever I shared some stories from my childhood and she was like, that's like fucked up. Like that's some of the things that I won't share like here, but like, she was like, that's trauma. Right. And I, because in the church, I thought like God's grace would like kind of wash all of that away. I didn't really Mm -hmm. understand that I needed deeper support than just to be loved by God in the Mm -hmm. same way that like the high vibe community can just be like, just think positive intentions and like, yes. And Mm -hmm. I was bypassing Mm -hmm. all of the, the trauma. And then I was thinking and being shamed in the church that all of the, the manifestations of trauma were sin. And so it was like reinforcing okay. in like all of these ways were like, my body is screaming, but I, I'm not praying enough. So I'll do more mm-hmm. prayer, but I'm doing it the wrong way. And I'm being too much because I'm a woman mm-hmm. and that like you just would, it spiraled into obviously an abuse dynamic. And I started going to this, I found this amazing trauma. He's not really a trauma therapist. He does a Christian version of kinesiology, applied mm-hmm. kinesiology. And so really I was getting energetic work done mm-hmm. and within six months, all of the symptoms were gone. Like physically, uh, all of my anxiety was gone. And suddenly I had this major disconnect with religion and nothing, like it, nothing made sense anymore. And so then it kind of, at that point, I actually had undergone a coaching certificate because I wanted to get started until I went and got my master's doing something. And, uh, my, that guy, my therapist was like, you, you really don't need to come like every week, like you've been coming. He's like, You can kind of lay off the healing for a bit. Although I, it's, you know, that was maybe nine years ago. I've been continuing that journey. He uh, kind of released me and said, like, You just go and live for a little right. while. -hmm. And in that time I became a coach. And within a year, my coaching practice grew to the point where I like quit all of my other jobs because I had lots of jobs trying Mm -hmm. to make ends meet. Mm -hmm. And then my faith just totally deconstructed. And so I had Mm -hmm. to leave just almost like an abusive relationship with the church. I had to leave that. Mm -hmm. So my coaching went from like I help you achieve your goals post-college to people started seeking me out because I was sharing my journey online and all of that i mean so much healing has happened since even then i came out i got a divorce i am no contact with family members and i'm just living much more healthy now mm-hmm. been through much more even trauma therapy since then um but all of that kind of gave context to what does it mean to live a life where you belong to you because mm-hmm. through my trauma I realized that all of it was, I belong to a parent. I belong to God. I belong to my husband, but I never belonged to me. And yes. all of those relationships, I realized, you know, my relationship with the church only works when I'm broken. My relationship with God only works when I was broken. My relationship with my husband only works whenever I thought I was broken. My relationship Oof. to my mother only worked when I thought I was broken. Yes. And I was like, oh God, what if I'm not broken? Mm-hmm. And what if all my relationships are built around that? So that's like, that's a short, long version. <laughs> Thanks for listening.
2: Uh, it's amazing even, how deep in my body.
3: Like,
1: yeah. my whole body is vibrating.
2: Yeah. Oof, I feel like I do need to let that sit for just yeah. a moment. Um, yeah.
1: You know, I, I, what I will say that I thought was interesting that came up when you were speaking was around this idea that even when you were young you might not have had the words for it then, but you still had an awareness that the more you acted like you, the more you Mm -hmm. actually tried to embody you, the worse the abuse got. Mm -hmm. And, you know, look, we could talk about that from the clinical perspective, obviously, Danae and I being therapists and the whole idea of the identified patient, right? And when families come in and they're like, fix them, there's something wrong with them. And it's like, well, no actually they're just speaking to all of the trauma and all the bullshit that's going on in the family dynamic. Right. Mm -hmm. So many times that the family doesn't want to see it. Right. It's a mirror back to them. And so, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no real question in that other than just to say like, what a perfect example of exactly how that shows up in dynamics. Mm -hmm. Like you act more like you and it gets the attempt to squash it because you acting like you is a mirror back to those parental figures about some of the real fucked up shit that's happening. Right. And they probably weren't yeah. able to see it or didn't want to, or weren't able to tolerate it. It's just, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. It was, it's interesting because, you know, I'm very familiar
3: with drama triangle and the different roles and family systems that show up. And prior to kind of speaking my truth, I was the, the golden child. I was actually right. the, the perfect child, the rest, and, and played some rescuer dynamics as well. And I, I, It's interesting to see the the shift in the family dynamics where whenever I came out, I, the literal two phrases I got from two parents were one said, I've seen gay and you're not it. And the other parent, "Uh, uh, okay. (laughs) Okay. And the other parent and these two parents are married. uh, The other parent said, I just can't keep up with you. And uh, very shortly after I went no contact with both of them actually not for not for those comments although they might elicit a reason um, yeah. it's just really showed that like the this is something that I'm continually trying to let go of and free myself from of be knowing that like all relationships are a sense of people's projections yes. and also how can I not just be a receptacle for the projection but actually live outside like both of those comments are like but you're not who I thought but you're not what that means to
1: me This isn't about me actually right Yes, that's the remembering that's the thing that we have to continually try to come back to is like oh that's actually that's not about me yeah at yeah
0: all. <laughs>
2: God, there's just so much about your story that just like is in such like resonance in my body, Mm -hmm. Madison. Um, And I guess one thing that I really feel like you speak to so beautifully that I don't hear a lot of people talk about is in this space of remembering that I belong to myself, the the experience of exile that comes up and yes. really um, people turning away from you or shunning you for that. And I, I feel like I've experienced that so much in my own life and don't hear people talk about it a ton outside of you. Will you speak to mm-hmm. how that um, came forward for you a little bit? This is like, I actually just spoke at an
3: in-person event and where I live and it was a queer event on this topic. Hmm. And I, I what I said in the talk was like I feel they actually asked me to speak about belonging, hmm. and I said I I feel like especially capable of the speaking to belonging because of how little of it I have felt, and you know my, my family the or the the people I grew up around I was my mom's child my stepdad had a child and they had a child together and I was the only one with like a different last name and the the ways of like not belonging of being bounced around from house to house in many marriages all creates its own sort of wound. But then also even becoming a Christian and then being different from my family and that I was the only Christian in the family system. Mm-hmm. And then leaving Christian like then leaving Christianity and having all of those people exile and then you know the coming out and then so there's been many layers of it. And I don't know, even though I think my examples can seem a little extreme. I actually found out and I'm sure you're both familiar with internal family systems that my mom's dad and my dad's mom were both orphaned as children. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: And I find that to be really interesting Mm -hmm. because in the lineage on both sides, there would be a sense of exile and separation from family and so I'm really not surprised that it would show up in my life and feeling orphaned, even though that didn't actually happen. Yes. Although I do think that anyone, even if without, you know, we can say as much, everyone has trauma without as much obvious trauma as I've had, I think everyone experiences exile when they choose to be themselves because they have to like, they have to split off from the parts of themselves they were pretending to be and like come back into wholeness. And that creates like ruptures in relationships where you were expected to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I kind of did the whole extreme, like cut everyone off who like doesn't get me mm-hmm. in the beginning of my journey. And I realized that like, I've really had to come into balance with that also being a response of lack of wholeness because there's a appropriate time for no contact and who's really ever going to fully get me mm-hmm. unless I belong with myself Right. And so there's like a, all these like tensions, I feel like you have to hold and without getting too existential. Like, I think Tokopad Turner, uh, or, or is it, I don't know how to say her name. I think, yeah, I think that's all right. Is
1: that correct? <laughs> <laughs> we might all be she wrong, speaks, but that's what I said Yeah.
3: She speaks on exile so beautifully in that mm. it's required yeah. to come back into wholeness, no matter your trauma story. Like it's, it's a required, like leaving the group, leaving the family system, to find yourself and that's like the heroine's journey to come back. I was just gonna say I mean it's an
1: archetypal journey right it's part of the the heroine's journey you have to actually leave the village otherwise you can't ever go through the slaying of the dragons and all of the things that are required to return back to the village a changed person right.
3: Yeah totally and it's like it's so funny cause I actually like, I was you know journaling on all of those things. And then I realized like many people have written this story before. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh wow. I'm just like every other person who's ever existed, who's ever gone on a journey of following their true self. Like it's pretty consistent across every spiritual path that this is what it looks like. And that I think the thing I'm realizing is that being comfortable grieving is just gonna be a part of the process. And that, that grief is not like a unique thing to make me a victim, but it's just part of what happens yeah. in the journey.
2: I love that so much. I think that is, you know, Vanessa and I, in depth psychology, we talk a lot about myth. And I think that is why myth is so powerful is that we see ourselves in these stories that have been, you know, cross-culturally um, shared for generations, right? And that mm-hmm. is why we share. That is why even you sharing so much of your journey is so powerful because I read something that you're going through and I'm like, oh, I feel so seen in this experience. And that is, I think what makes us feel less alone in these moments of exile, in these moments of, yeah, it is necessary to separate, to sort of come into this space of individuation, but I'm not fully alone in this experience because others have walked this path before me.
3: Mm-hmm, and that's exactly it, realizing like, I. I felt so alone Mm -hmm. and then you realize everyone feels that way on the journey and there's a sense of togetherness in the exile whenever you find (laughs) in the aloneness that like perhaps this sense of loneliness is something that everyone actually experiences but people just aren't speaking to and that it's a longing it's a longing for a returning home to ourselves and then like you said, an individuation or as I say, sovereignty, you say mm-hmm. to me, they're the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and then also like connection, this journey has led me actually back to a deeper connection with spirit and to something bigger that the cliches of like, we're all searching for home or we're all like, you know, trying to fill some God shaped hole in our heart, which is like the church used to say, mm-hmm. I used to just roll my eyes at that when I left, but it almost believing allowed for, the deeper sense of knowing what it really means to come home to it. And so, oh my gosh, I would have hated hearing myself say that a couple of years ago. But I think that
1: I think that is true. Well, and this could be probably its own podcast in itself, but what kept coming up for me was this idea around, you know, if we're talking about the structure of the church and some of the dogma that surrounds it, what's so funny is that Jesus himself actually went through this exact same journey. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And yet so much of the the kind of construct, the man-made construct of the Christian church, or not just even Christian church, honestly, a lot of the bigger churches, we'll just say, um, is around, don't speak up, don't be different, stay within the confines, do what you're told, don't question things, right? And what's so funny about that is that's actually the opposite of what Jesus spoke to. That's actually the Mm -hmm. opposite of what Jesus himself lived, right, Mm -hmm. And, and quote unquote, preached. And so it's just, I guess, a thought about how man can take something that actually is meant to empower us and embolden us and help us find ourselves and belong to ourselves and say, no, no, don't get too big. Don't stray too far. You need to stay Mm -hmm. here and be good and and be what we tell you to be. Um, Yeah. Not the same thing.
3: (laughs) Yeah. You know, I, I don't know how much each of your histories are with Christianity but one of my mentors has said to me, like you know, a lot of people say right now Christianity is inherently colonizing, and what one of my mentors has reminded me of is that Christianity was isn't inherently colonizing; it was used to colonize. Yeah, mm.
0: and, a really good
3: way
1: to put that. Yeah,
3: yeah. That the Roman Empire used it because they would say, "What is this a religion for women and children and slaves?" this is a bullshit religion and in doing that and it resonating with lower class at the time citizens it was appealing whenever they they created it as the mandate for all people and it was a way it became a way to corrupt but it it actually landed with those who had been oppressed that's what was so magical about it is that like the message of grace and like Jesus what Jesus did. Like Mm when people people tell me Jesus just came to be love, I'm like, I don't know if you were reading.
2: (laughs) I don't know if you're reading the same book. (laughs) Yeah. He
3: was a he was a extreme like a he led a political uprising totally. Mm. That was not that was not to come to meditate in pure consciousness.
1: I mean it he was her to shake he, shit up, by the way. Like, yes, he was an activist. He was on the front lines. Like that's what he was. Yes. Doing. <laughs> mm. And the fact
3: that it resonated with people who had been oppressed, it that's why it was used to continue to flip it around and continue oppressing. And so, as I'm just kind of contemplating on why that message was resonant to me, I see now that like oh, there was uh, there's a sense of resonance of this message for people who know pain. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that there's An beauty in that. <laughs> yeah. in exile. And there's beauty in that when, I mean, because the entire Jewish population, like that, the, the word exile, as far as I know, it comes from the exodus. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I thankfully I'm very thankful now that I have like, the spiritual context as deep as I do to see it in a new way mm-hmm. outside of a colonist, a colonial lens, because although I was indoctrinated into that, because that's what a lot of the u.s church is in evangelicalism the roots of it are not that right right so mm. yeah just had to go on a little rant there about it no <laughs> I'm, i wanted passionate. you that's
1: why i was like i'm gonna do this little thing here it might be another podcast but i think it's really <laughs> important and I think, I think we have to talk about it because I think there are certain people, you included in this, you know, this idea of like being a seeker, being mm. somebody who steps outside of the norm, being somebody who pushes and challenges. Mm. Um, and you're right, we are, we are exiled and we are looked at as like the black sheep. And yet um, when you come back home and when you find that belonging of self, Um, in a lot of ways, you're kind of like the outside looking in going, I'm actually cool on the outside. (laughs) I like it. This is a really good place to be. As a matter Mm
2: -hmm. of fact. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really love it in the context of I work with a lot of people who are still sort of grappling with their trauma around their experience with religion. And, um, you know, I feel like I'm always so obsessed with this idea that like words aren't what teach us, it's sort of our felt experience with things, our life that, you know, we kind of have to find that truth for ourselves. And I'm curious, Madison, to hear what your thoughts are a little bit about the last couple of years, because I feel like we are in one of these moments of grappling with finding our own truth, our own um, inner authority being what is leading us now after we've sort of outsourced our truth in a lot of ways on a collective level. Mm. Yeah. But I'm curious what these last couple of years have brought up for you. Uh, the first is like codependency relapse. Mm. Like
3: uh, just personally, I'm mm-hmm. just like, oh God. I'm, and maybe I'm like, maybe I was never outside of codependency, <laughs> but it, uh, the fear mm-hmm. and on all fronts. And the Al-Anon and AA saying, you're the same distance from the ditch. You're always the same distance from the ditch. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm just like, oh, fuck. Okay, so there's that. <laughs> um, because I, you know, went into lockdown just moving in with my girlfriend, feeling like I had just ended a bunch of cycles, having gotten divorced and set all these no contact boundaries. And then all this fear, mm. you know, from all all sides. And I've seen a lot of people really also have you know a relapse of sorts with uh things that they felt they'd overcome or different trauma door traps that they thought (laughs) weren't there just like dropped out beneath them and I'm seeing a lot of old adaptive strategies for a lot of people Mm -hmm. and I'm also because I know about high control groups and their methods I'm seeing a lot of people fall into fundamentalism politically religiously spiritually you know and that I both sides of the political spectrum, religiously, I'm just like certainty is something that we want whenever we are afraid. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people feel very certain right now. And holding nuance is exhausting. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, I it seems like both of your under like your knowledge of depth psychology, like understands splitting. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the extremes we're seeing. I, this is my opinion, a manifestation of so much uncertainty, so much fear, so much exhaustion that the psyche is just like, give me certainty. Mm-hmm. And that certainty fragments off from the whole. Uh, and so I'm seeing a lot of that <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I'm seeing that in myself and I'm really trying to like keep my capacity so that mm-hmm. I'm not doing that because I know my own tendency to look for extremes and to look for like, radicalism is really easy for me. And so I'm like noticing, okay, what is the middle way right now? And that also looks like, am I willing to not be in the most popular group right now? Am I willing to take more time to process what, like all the information that's being bombarded at me? And it seems like from, Online uh, social justice spaces to many different friends' opinions about the vaccine. That immediate answers are wanted from people. Immediate sure. responses are wanted. Yes. And personally, I'm having to just say that doesn't align with my body, and my nervous system needs more time to move out of the activation into a place of like conscious choice. And so it's a lot of that for me. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I'm thinking that the last two years. I mean, I've my business has only grown. I will say that because people are needing support in a, in community in a different way than ever before. Mm-hmm. And my it's actually grown mostly full of space holders and therapists, which has been really interesting.
2: Yeah. Wow,
3: That's interesting. and I'm like I'm seeing uh, people who hold space especially burnt out. Yeah, I see that too a lot. So. I have so many thoughts, of course, on like all of the things, but that's like the most present to myself and the people that I'm talking to is like, how do we also hold space and be there for people who have many divergent experiences of this pandemic people in my life where my business has grown people in my life where their business has ended Hmm. and just holding that tension of like, how do I choose to hold the privileges I have and the reasons why my business grew and all of that knowing that like the person right next to me or a friend or whatever has had their whole life crumble right. in the last two years. So there's a lot of like dichotomies and tensions and like, I'm just learning to hold it. <laughs> I'm just learning, hold it and also to like let my own feelings about the difference, which I guess could be another thing of like, how do we just under be with difference seems to be incredibly important right now.
2: Yeah. You just said something that like like has been so the words that encapsulate what I've been feeling so strongly. Just like exhaustion with attempting to hold nuance and yeah. uh, yes, that's <laughs> it. Like I feel like I'm like I don't want to evolve and expand anymore. I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> amen. Like yes,
1: feeling
2: that collectively so strongly. Oh my. Well, and yes. I also think today
1: what you what you spoke to you know Madison about this idea of like the space holders being especially. Burnt out. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, people have always gone to the space holders to help them find certainty, Mm. even though that's not what we necessarily do. There's (laughs) something about that, like that feels like an authority, you know, authoritative figure. Let me go to the therapist. Let me go to the church pastor. Let me go to whoever because they must know, right? Mm. They're they're above Mm. me. They're the they're the certainty, you know, that I'm seeking. Um, And I think so. There's because more people are turning to let's say us as those space holders there's even more i feel like um burnout with this constant i need to hold the nuance because now we're not to try to do it for ourselves now we're Mm -hmm. doing it for an abundance of people who also are grappling with but i don't want it. i don't want it i want certainty damn it Mm -hmm. give me certainty and so i think it's like feeding into that too you know and and sometimes I don't want to be that space holder of nuance for everybody. I want certainty too. And I want everybody to leave me the fuck alone so I can be in my own certainty. Right. (laughs) Especially like when you're in social media and you have any kind of presence, you know, it's this whole, like this idea of cancel culture. I think a lot of it comes from how dare you hold nuance? Mm -hmm. How dare you not speak out and take a stand against this? Or if you do take a stand, it's not the stand that I want you to take because now that's making me not have that certainty. You're shaking mm-hmm. that in some way. And so I'm going to lash out and tear you down. Where really, again, we're back to that mirror. Really, it's just about what's coming up for me in my t- intolerance or my inability to actually sit with nuance, right? Sit with this, not knowing.
3: Yeah. That. Yeah. I think there are so many people also who, like, I have worked with who are like, I'm just afraid to show up because I'm afraid of getting it wrong. That feels totally. really heightened. Mm-hmm. And it's really unfortunate because. Most of those people are women or queer folks or non-binary folks that I work with, who are actually really wanting to do a good job and actually really, really, really care, and will fuck up because that's mm-hmm. how it goes. But we do, and the the fear has been so increased that it's led to inaction. And I am like, these are people who are meant to be doing healing work in the world or liberating work in the world, but even if it's not like inherently. Therapy, right? Like something that helps liberate people or helps create art, all of these things, and this fear of like, I'm going to get it wrong. So, what's the point? Mm -hmm. And I don't, I actually don't surround myself in communities that way. Like, I love accountability, but I've been very grateful actually not to be in a lot of spaces online. Last year I was. I learned a huge lesson uh, last year. Oh my God. I wrote on I'm just gonna tell this story. I, I'm not gonna name who it was, but I wrote this person on my vision board. And in human design, I'm a specific manifester. so like I'm, I'm manifesting specifically, and so I I know I have to be careful because <laughs> I get what I ask for, for oh. <laughs> better or worse. And so I wrote, I want so and so to share my work on social media as mm. one of my things I wanted to manifest in 2020. And a week later, they followed me on Instagram and very soon, uh, <laughs> is this, they, uh, yeah, pretty, very soon they started sharing my work and then very soon after, uh, they started getting canceled in a very big way. Mm-hmm. And then I started getting canceled just by knowing them and not knowing the nuances of like what even was happening with them. I have a feeling I know <laughs> what you're talking about, but we won't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, some people who paid attention to any of those things last year will probably know immediately. Mm-hmm. And I really liked this person and I really wanted to have conversations with them about what was happening. I, and I was also holding space for people being canceled in affiliation. So it was like all of these yeah. ways that I also wasn't able to publicly talk about it because some of these people were my clients. Mm-hmm. Some of these people were my friends and I was trying to navigate like how, how do I know all these things that I know and all of the different contexts and the ways that I hear about this. Within also continue this relationship and also be in my integrity online. Because some of the mm. things that were being told to me, both in my practice from other clients, from my clients and on social media were concerning mm. about this colleague. And I ended up posting uh, the interview that we did. And I said, you know, this is a very complicated thing because I the, the person wasn't willing to have a conversation with me about it. And I understand that boundary because they were being you know, come came out from all fronts. So they must've been exhausted. Then I realized like, I wasn't sleeping because of my hooks around what was happening with this. And so I ended up posting it and they were so upset with me that they closed the friendship for the way that I shared it. Mm. And it was this huge fucking lesson in giving away my power mm. because I realized that this person had many more followers than me and have more credentials than me. And I felt like, if, because they were sharing my work and all this was unconscious at the time. If they shared my work, that's why I wrote it on my fucking vision board. If they mm-hmm. shared my work, I would be someone, I would be something until it came with all of the bullshit it came with. Uh-huh. And then I was like, what am I supposed to do now? My integrity is on the line. Also, I don't even actually know this person. Yeah, Like I only know them a little bit Yeah, and they're great as far as I know, but like, do I actually know them? And I started realizing just all these hooks in the industry and in social media that I had let into my life and dictate my choices. And then I was like, Oh my God, most of my choices online about how I present myself are about like colleagues see me and not about service. And that's a fucking problem. Mm. And so it just like made me real. I was like, I'm giving away my power. <laughs> um, and all of this has to do with me and all of my relationship with the cancel culture has to do with me. And I was, it just, after that, I like, did a visualization where my entire business is encapsulated in just grace and like people who don't want to do that can't even see me mm-hmm. like they can't even perceive me and just honestly stopped following many colleagues stopped I just wanted to unhook we from yes because it was it was toxic for me mm-hmm. and I that's when I, when I say codependency relapse in 2020 like yeah. It, it was like this hyper uh, socialization that had as a result of my childhood trauma had been transferred onto social media. And I was like, this is a huge leak
0: mm. and it's not even
3: to be of service of my clients. Mm. And I want no fucking part in it. And so I don't even know why I brought that up, but basically cancel culture, my power, sovereignty. I was like, this is just another spiral of the same fucking thing. <laughs> no, I don't but I, do I it love anymore.
1: That. I love that because even if you're somebody who's listening, who doesn't, you know, play in the space of social media as part of like your business um i actually think that brings up a really important question and challenge that people can take away with which is like what part of these areas of yourself that you are attempting to understand and examine and potentially like break down in order to build back up are being activated by how you show up on social media Mm -hmm. by how you consume social media social media has a lot of amazing qualities right this is that nuance and to your point, it's like, oh, there's my codependency being reactivated in this space. I thought I had, yeah. I thought I had done that work, right? It's always like the thing we say in our head: I thought I did that already. I thought I already, you know, climbed that mountain. But I, I actually think that's a really good challenge, even to like the people out there that are just sharing with their 200 family and friends. Like, how, yeah, what is this bringing up for you, right? How are you engaging in it? Are you engaging in it? as your highest self are you engaging in it as your lowest self like what are your expectations right like
3: there's mm-hmm. just a lot of really
1: good questions I think that we can ask ourselves around how we show up in that space
0: yeah, yeah.
3: and even whenever I was trolling the comments like sometimes yeah. I wasn't involved I was just reading
2: mm.
3: on high alert just like reading yeah. what was going on and I was like this is actually like in terms of addiction which I think codependency is yes this is again, I'm the same distance from the ditch and I'm feeding the addiction. I'm feeding the fear. I'm feeding the drama in my life. And it wasn't good for me. It wasn't good for my recovery. And I was pretending that it was because I thought one, it's for my business two, it's for social justice. Mm. And I kind of just call bullshit on myself for that because who was I helping by reading all those comments? How was my activism moving anything forward? It wasn't. Mm it wasn't, I was in a state of fear and immediate response. And since I did, I actually unfollowed any, a bunch of people who participated in online call-outs where I felt like I was learning from the call-outs mm. and there maybe there's a time and place for that, but it, it wasn't good for me. Yeah. And so now I'm like, I've had to just reevaluate what is my activism mm. in through my choices, because that's not it. If it, if it re-triggers me into a place where I'm actually perpetuating, which I, I think that codependency and narcissism on the micro are the same thing as supremacy on the macro. And so I was like, this is the same thing. I can't do it. Yeah. I love so much.
2: This thing of like, you're this incredibly powerful manifestor so much so that like a week later, this thing that you <laughs> have been came forward. And yet there's like this externalization of my power. Like, yeah somehow I need some source outside of myself. (laughs) And I actually, and it's also like, just the like trusting in divine timing and that like, whatever is meant to unfold in the way that I am best of service in this lifetime will unfold as it needs to. And I don't actually have to figure out. And if I do, there may be a consequence, but um, I just think that's so powerful. There's all these ways, like whether someone has like a perception of us that is positive or negative, like, I don't want to be involved in that. And I think I've had ways with social media that I've sort of learned that as well. Like mm-hmm. none of it's really that great to get involved in because <laughs> yeah. up on a pedestal. That can be a place to fall down from as well, right? Um, and it's always totally. projections to the point that you were making before. It's never real. It's never actually about who we are.
3: Yeah, exactly. And the externalization of the power, it's like, I was the one who manifested that experience. I was the one who drew this person towards me. Mm. And yet I was thinking... And and really to like name what I did bless this person I was using them and I didn't know it sure and yeah. I think that that happens we do I mean outside of social media
1: that's <laughs> mean, really that's codependency <laughs> to a T right I'm using you but I'm pretending it's actually out of the guise of my kindness of my heart right <laughs> yes yeah and how often
3: like any outside of social media outside of influencing outside of space holding that like we do that and we think we're doing we. Unconsciously, it's like, oh, I'm just, it's so good to be around this person, yeah. but whatever the fuck the story is. And it's like, no, it's an externalization of my power. Yeah. And I actually, although it's like an easy way to feel powerful, mm-hmm. it never leads to what I want.
1: Mm. It also doesn't last, right? I no, mean, it doesn't last because it's not real, quote unquote, like internally yeah. real, right? And that's where that addiction comes from. Because it's not real, it's not coming from inside. I have to constantly seek it because I can't, I can only get it in drips because it's not being produced Mm. from inside me. Right. And so there is that addiction. That's why we always say codependency is an addiction because you're not living with a sense of self. You're getting your Mm. sense of self outside of self. So you got to keep going back to that source, you know, totally,
3: which, Some people disagree with this. This, I shouldn't, this isn't from a clinical standpoint, but I see it has the same core as narcissism. And there's a bunch of talk about narcissism.
1: It 100% does, talk, speak to it all you want. I say it all the time. I tell people in my codependency classes, this is going to make you really uncomfortable to hear. But the reason why you and narcissists are so attracted to each other is because y'all are a lot alike. And let me tell you A lot alike. Right? Yeah.
3: Yeah. And I don't mean narcissism in like, as a judgment. I mean it as like, it's a shame core. It's mm-hmm. like they're at the core, their yeah. shame of not being able to be your full self. Yeah. And I think if we stopped using narcissism to judge the people we don't like and just saw oh, yeah. that everyone, if we are not in our power and in our wholeness, that we will have a tendency to behave in that way, whether it's overt or covert, then we like, the less we stigmatize that, which is like, I feel tricky about even using the word because it's such a buzzword now and it's used to throw on, Oh, my ex is a narcissist, and like they're a narcissist, everyone's a narcissist. I'm like, yeah, that's that's actually right. Everyone is. <laughs> and I actually yeah. think that most people are, and the mo- I actually follow Narcissist Recovery Center, which I think has changed their name, but she speaks to this really boldly. And I appreciate it because it's to destigmatize like the core is actually shame. The core is actually yeah. unworthiness, the core is actually powerlessness. Yes. And when we heal that we no longer have to be operating in the way that we're seeking outside of ourselves and bless anon and aa recovery because i do think that they are speaking directly to this without using the word narcissist mm. because that word can is just so used right now. And maybe I should, I need to evaluate even if I want to keep saying it. I know. I
1: mean, I say the same thing. I'm like, I say the same thing about codependency though. Like when I teach on it, I'm like, I feel like codependency and narcissism are two words that get thrown around in this kind of pop psychology, social media landscape we've got going on now. And people don't really actually understand what it truly means and they don't use it. And also I think when you're throwing around anything, once again, this is like the third time I've said this during this one hour conversation, (laughs) what what are you looking into the mirror for? Like you continue to use this term, whatever it is, narcissist, codependent, whatever, and you're throwing it around. I mean, we probably should turn that around on ourselves, right? Like, you know, it's like I say to people, okay, if everybody's a narcissist, then why are you so attracted to narcissists? Like, why are you the only one that happens to be around all the narcissists? Like, if that's really what you believe, then we need to turn
2: it around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and maybe the more useful inquiry becomes where is there narcissism in me where is there codependent tendencies within me because absolutely i agree like i've gotten to the point where i think we're all grappling with our own narcissistic tendencies 100% and we need to stop um, stop the labels because i think they exist within all of us absolutely.
3: yeah it's like if we remember that like a lot of the reasons we believe these things are looking outside of us is because we've actually been socialized to Mm. believe that it's outside of us and i i'm cautious to just throw it all on to like it's only the system that's the problem because i also understand the human psyche inherently looks for something outside of itself Mm. and so like the systems didn't just happen like we we created them like the humans made them And also like seeing how it happens in the micro is like, oh, we're looking for something outside of us. What does it look like to reconnect to our power? What does it look like to reconnect to source and that's spirituality? And I think that's, what's re-led me from, you know, going into trauma therapy, thinking I wanted to just become a therapist into psychology, looping back around to this place of like all of that. And what does it look like to reconnect to source as my source Mm -hmm. and have a healthy attachment to myself and to God and the earth? Because I, if, if your listeners listen, like no attachment styles, there's a lot talking about that. And right now online. And I, it seems that the only thing that supports me to develop the most secure secure attachment isn't just attachment to people. It's attachment to earth and to myself and to God or source. And I'm like, like, how do people develop a like secure attachment without knowing they're safe on the earth? Mm Mm-hmm you know, I don't, I don't know that that, uh, I haven't seen that that's possible. The people that I know who have a secure attachment, they're healthfully attached to their right to be here. And I think like I'm seeing Gen Z bless them. They grew up, they're growing up in the climate crisis. I'm only a couple years older. I'm a young millennial, but still like, I see such an existential feeling of not deserving to be here. Mm -hmm. And it really worries me because I am like, humans are a part of the earth ecosystem where we're supposed to be here yes. in right relationship and so what does that right relationship with the earth and our deservedness to belong here speaking of exile like mm-hmm. we deserve to be here mm-hmm. and we're out of balance and that's mm-hmm. like we, if we're if we can acknowledge we're just out of balance and not try to eradicate ourselves which it seems like we're doing a great job of like wow that could be really powerful and that act to me if I was trying to heal the narcissist wound, I would say like reconnecting to our deserved place on this earth would be a good way to do it. Mm. So those those are my thoughts. Thanks for letting me
2: share. I mean, I love it. I'm just Just so- This is a two hour conversation. I mean, I feel like we're never like, no, can we keep going? Like we could talk to you forever, Madison. And I'm so struck by how often it always comes back to self-worth. It always, Always. like that's where we land every every time. Every time. Oh my gosh. We have questions that we ask all of our guests. I feel like I just want this conversation to keep going, but we want to be mindful of time mm. um, and your time. Um, so our rapid fire questions. The first one is who have been your greatest teachers, mentors, people that have inspired mm. or impacted you along your journey up to this point? Mm,
3: okay, I should have my list out. Yeah. So the first would be Jesus, Mary Magdalene, mm. Sue Monk Kid, Steph Jagger was my first mentor, the work of Hiro Boga, Lair and Alta, um, Bridget Bedekins. I think that's actually how you say her last name. I mentioned Tokopa Turner. I actually only read that one book, but it very deeply impacted me. Um, yeah, so good. There are more. And actually, if you, anyone wants to know, I have it on my website. If you like, go down to the very bottom of my of, like, homepage, it'll say thank you mentors and you can Mm -hmm. just click on that. And I have a list of those people there. Wow.
0: Beautiful.
1: Okay. So the second question is around flow. So what do you find yourself actually participating in when you are in a state of flow?
3: Conversation. Mm -hmm. I love conversation, like conversations like this. uh, I, yeah, conversation, um, I could also get into like piddling and cleaning my house, listening <laughs> Same, to, listening to podcasts or music <laughs> and, uh, I get into flow around art whenever I let myself have
2: time for that. Beautiful. And what breaks your heart, Madison?
3: Oh, uh, lately it's like everything. <laughs> I feel like I've entered, I finally let myself feel grief mm. and it feels like, like everything is breaking my heart. And I think that that's in a good way like I feel like my the last two years Danae speaking of the things that like I've learned I just feel like the last two years have like broken open so much grief Mm. and it like keeps widening like the picture I get is like a rose that keeps blooming and it just keeps blooming and keeps blooming and and it's like it kind of like creates this like torrent energy situation I feel like the grief feels like that and Mm it's like the more I'm letting myself feel it which certainly has not been all the way the more access I have to love and so yes. everything yeah oh, beautifully put <laughs>
1: yeah and then the last one is a doozy what is your favorite food
3: oh my god I love food <laughs> um. I love when that's <laughs> people's first
1: responses <laughs> <laughs> that like fully embodied like a little bit of a shimmy like ah. yes
3: <laughs> one of my best friends she points out that when I'm eating anything that, that I like sorry. I just do this yeah oh, are you are you a pure generator in human design by chance what am I today I don't remember no I'm not what you are
2: um I'm a manifester you are I think you are a generator think okay, okay, I'm a
3: generator yeah yeah
2: I've heard that
3: generators do that. I'm a generator and <laughs> I've heard that this. that happened. Uh, but honestly, like I eat popcorn every day, oh. like every day <laughs> I don't think we've with truffle salt and some popcorn. <laughs> uh, popcorn and I love pineapples. I mean, mm. like very obscure and I'm known just to like eat seasonings out of the cabinet, just like straight up. And so oh. any anything I can put like popcorn you can season it anyway
2: of it and so it's really
3: just like a crunchy way to eat seasonings
1: yeah it's
2: just oh the thing gosh.
1: that gets the seasoning into
2: your mouth. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> yes <laughs> yes the tool the best. totally oh that's amazing well Madison you are an absolute treasure Vanessa and I knew we were gonna just fall in love with you and oh so much have and thank you so much you know you're just a brilliant woman and I'm really grateful for what you're putting out in the world and the way you're showing up and holding space mm-hmm. and it is just wonderful to get to meet you so thank you for being here
3: mm-hmm. thank you so much I feel like I've said like the most heavy shit ever I like said like oh my intro was so heavy and then I just went on <laughs> said oh. so much more heavy shit uh but it's almost like, I guess I feel like if you go through all of that, like everything becomes really fun. Mm-hmm. And so I just hope if anyone's listening and they're like, fuck, like, <laughs> I really just invite you to put on some like Ariana Grande or something and like dance it out because yeah. yeah.
1: Thank you. Space for humor you. is so important mm-hmm. in no matter what the depth of the experience is, um, mm-hmm. because without humor i mean we're we're very out of talking about balance i mean you need the humor right we need the light for the dark yeah So yeah. absolutely where can Thank people you both. find you madison just really quick before we let you go
3: yeah totally um, i'm on instagram and tiktok which is like i'm i'm not new there but i'm not like i'm not fully i'm new at showing up on tiktok yeah, you know <laughs> um so uh, it's all my name so madisonmorrigan.com. and it's not morgan like the first name it's morgan like the celtic goddess so m o r r i g a n and so instagram madisonmorgan madisonmorgan.com tiktok same i guess you could look at my facebook page but like does anyone do that anymore probably not <laughs> <laughs> so if, if you're if you're wanting from anything from me i I love my like newsletter list. I probably send the most like fresh things there. Mm -hmm. And on my website, I have a call your energy back hypnosis. And then you would, if you like, if anyone wants to get on my email list, they can download that for free. And then if not, then I'll be posting bullshit on Instagram stories and you can follow (laughs) along there.
2: (laughs) So good. Thank you so much, Madison.
1: Thank you.